It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, whatever you like. Or you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today, we actually have some Vikings news to cover. The Vikings have added a new, pretty significant senior defensive assistant, uh, one by the name of Dom Capers, who you may recognize as somebody across enemy lines since like 2009. He spent almost a decade, I think, with the Packers as their defensive coordinator. And we will go deep into the meaning of that, as well as the ultimate division crossover is continuing today. We're going to talk about the Bears with Locked On Bears' Lauren Cox, but also Peter Bukowski and Matt Derry of Locked On Packers and Lions, respectively. We're all on the line, ready to talk Bears at the end of the show. And you guys, we're up next tomorrow. But first, it's time for the Viking of the Day. And today's Viking of the Day is another cornerback from around uh, the, the olden times. Today, we're going to talk about Carl Lee. Carl Lee is a fascinating person to me uh, because, A, what he's done after retiring from football is very similar to, like, E.J. Henderson and other guys. A lot of people, like, retire from the Vikings and go into, like, youth football initiatives and trying to get kids out there and playing and have at least an emotionally healthy uh, outlet for all of their, you know, young little boy energy. And I think, you know, people who were shaped by the game and by the discipline that the game requires you to have and the work ethic that the game requires you to have at the highest level, it is kind of cool to see those guys try to pass that on to the next generation. And Carl Lee is one of them. He's been heavily involved in youth football initiatives uh, after his time in the NFL. But the way he got to the Vikings and the way his career manifested itself kind of makes him a, a relic of an age, and I, I don't know if it would be possible anymore. But like a lot of the stories of these guys that ended up having, you know, big time NFL careers, it starts with like this really highly motivated kid. So in 10th grade, uh, Carl Lee doesn't make his high school varsity team. And he's so upset about this. He feels so wronged by this. He goes to his art teacher and he has his art teacher help him make a chart that illustrates all the reasons he should have made the varsity team. And he hangs that chart above his bed and he uses it as motivation every day and he practices and he works really hard and he gets better and in 11th grade he's starting for the varsity team and that's such a like quintessential like 1970s grit and you know spitting elbow grease kind of story and he ends up making enough of a name for himself in high school to then start getting college looks. But he's too small. So West Virginia moves on. A bunch of other schools kind of say, no, no, he's he's too small to play cornerback, you know, to play any football the next level. He's only like 155 pounds, and we want bigger cornerbacks than that. So he ends up at Marshall, which is an abysmal program in the 80s. This is not your Randy Moss kind of fun Marshall team that might actually, you know, uh, you know, produce a prospect every once in a while. No, this is like a horrible horrifyingly bad dude. This is like getting picked to play for Rutgers today. And you can just like imagine as he's coming out into the NFL, you can imagine an NFL scout today going, hmm, well, didn't make varsity in 
10th grade. That's a ding. Yeah, well, you know, it was too small to play in college. That's a ding. He's got to gain weight. That's a ding. He went to this crappy school. That's a ding. You know, we only really are interested in people from, you know, Ohio State and the, the big college, USC and the big colleges. But it kind of turns out to be a blessing in disguise because Marshall is so bad that a freshman in Carl Lee actually gets to start for them his freshman year. And now he's a guy that started his freshman year in college. And that looks better, even if it's for a bad team. So, of course, he ends up drafted by the Vikings and the rest is history. And you, you, you know how that ended, how his time with the Vikings ended because he refused to take a pay cut, ends up playing a little bit for New Orleans, but that's it. And now he's doing all of this like youth outreach, you know, youth football stuff. And it's, it's, it's great work and worth commending. And uh, I'll link something in the show notes for you to go check it out if you're more interested in that. But I really like Carl Lee as somebody who embodies not only that old school tough guy work ethic, but how much it can overcome. And, and I think it's interesting, and now this is maybe just pontificating uselessly, but I wonder just how many kids were in the same situation as Carl Lee, but some scout went, no, 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 too small, moved on, never thought about it again, not, never thought about it again, and now that guy is selling insurance. When in reality, had they been given that chance, they would have carved out an 11-year career in the National Football League. Food for thought. Moving on to the real news of the hour, the Vikings have brought in a new, very experienced senior defensive assistant to aid first-time co-defensive coordinators Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer. This mirrors the offensive setup from a year ago that worked out very well with a green but up-and-coming and very exciting new coordinator and an extremely experienced advisor looking over their shoulder. Capers brings eight years of head coaching experience and 15 years of defensive coordinator experience to the defensive staff. His experience in Green Bay is mostly centered around exotic blitz designs and defensive back development. And this contribution from both a developmental and a schematic angle is a step toward replacing the duties of both George Edwards and Jerry Gray and their experience. But before I get too deep into what we can expect from Dom Capers and what he adds to the defense, a real quick word about ads. If you have a local business and you're interested in advertising to the kind of people who listen to a daily Vikings podcast, especially in the Minnesota area, then you might be in luck. You hear the ads on this show and you know that we will treat you right. So text advertising to 33777 or go to lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We can get your message out to the people who need to hear it. So text advertising to 33777 or go to lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, 
Masterclass, or at least your time at home. Masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, so let's talk about this Dom Capers signing. Obviously, the reaction that I saw online and in response to like the team's announcement of it was all very, very negative and uh, you know apprehensive. And Packers fans, on the contrary, are like, "Ha ha ha! The Vikings signed that really bad guy." So he's like super radioactive. And you know why is that? And it's really not hard. You just have to remember how his defenses were in like 2016 and 2017. I think Packers fans were really calling for his head ever since the 2014 meltdown in the NFC Championship where the Seahawks came all the way back, the Brian Bostic game, or Brandon Bostic. But really, so I asked a couple of Packers analysts that I know. I asked Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers, and I also asked Andy Herman. Uh, He runs his own brand of of Packers content, and he's a great follow. Even if you hate the Packers, you can learn a lot from him. If you you go follow him on Twitter, at Scotty Sports, I think. Uh, but I asked both of them, like, hey, like, okay, what, what do you know about Dom Capers that makes that, that you know, who, who is this guy? Because all I really knew was that he was public enemy no, number one in Green Bay for a while and that he was kind of a dinosaur. And that's really the answer that, that you got back in the 90s, I mean, in, in the early 2000s, and or 90s, 2000s, and the early uh, 2010s, he was this you know, Dick LeBeau level genius. It was seen that like Dom Capers and Dick LeBeau were the two most innovative defensive minds out there. And then there were others. I mean, Mike Zimmer hadn't really hit the scene as a coordinator too much yet, or at least not like made a mate, not too much of a name for himself. And you had guys like Jeff Fisher falling out of favor, guys like Marvin Lewis kind of falling out of favor. And these two were seen as like the legendary coaches of it all that are going to go to the hall of fame one day as like, you know, uh, crazy defensive minds. And for Capers, it was a lot of 3-4 and a lot of exotic blitz looks, which is really, really interesting from a schematic perspective. And this is where it gets really difficult to speculate what exactly Dom Capers was brought in to do. He probably just replaces George Edwards in a managerial role, right? Taking some of the, you know, not actually being the defensive coordinator, uh, and I think that's largely a political move to keep Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer, uh, you know, happy and in the building. Uh, but largely, you know, he's a senior defensive assistant. He's going to be the Kubiak to, to Patterson and Zimmer's Stefanski. Somebody who's been there a million times and knows the pitfalls when you're a defensive coordinator, don't do this, do do that. So uh, part of it is just having a guy with experience. And I bet that that's going to be the party line coming from the Vikings going, well, you know, we wanted somebody with more experience in that defensive staff right now. The most experienced guy on the defensive staff is Mike Zimmer. And he's got more important things to do than micromanaging the defense. You want somebody experienced going in and, you know, making sure that the staff is, isn't doing things that other people have learned over the years are, you know, big pitfalls. So sure, that's all fine and dandy, right? But, but why Dom Capers, right? Why bring in this guy who's still so radioactive? And here's the best answer I could think of. So I, I do think he was brought in schematically at some point. And I've been talking a lot about this, this coaching staff and their need for a fresher voice in the room. I think it's more important on offense when you've got a whole bunch of, you know, guys who've been running the same scheme for 25 years. But I think on defense, having somebody who doesn't match what you do in the room, not changing to what they do, but letting them come in and, and, you know, offer their ideas and their perspectives. I think there are different lessons to be learned from that and different perspectives are always a good idea. So I, I think that that's part of it as well. 
he also, those Packers teams developed a lot of good defensive backs and the GM let them all walk out the door and they're still good on their respective teams today. You know, guys like Casey Hayward, you know, Micah Hyde, Sam Shields, a lot of guys that ended up still having good careers started under Dom Capers' tutelage. And part of that goes to their defensive backs coach, right? Like how much credit goes to who? That's always a difficult thing to surmise. But really that's the missing piece, right? You have somebody who's good at developing linebackers. You have somebody who's good at developing defensive linemen. You didn't really have that for defensive backs except for Zimmer himself, since you lost Jerry Gray to the Packers. Now, if you asked me, you know, three months ago, would I trade Jerry Gray for Dom Capers straight up? Two years ago, would I trade Jerry Gray for Dom Capers straight up? Absolutely not. I think the Packers get the better end of this deal, and that's unfortunate. But I do see the point in bringing in somebody with, you know, a a pedigree for coaching defensive backs to replace that experience coaching defensive backs. Even though you have the new defensive backs coach you took from Cincinnati, you got a guy with a little more experience doing that now. But really what I think is most exciting and what I would hope to see, and we'll know by, you know, training camp and OTAs if this is happening or not, is Capers is a 3-4 guy who is famous for designing 3-4 blitzes. Now, Zimmer, also famous for designing blitzes, but part of what makes his blitzes so formidable is that they are always evolving. He doesn't just do the same thing over and over and over again. He was famous for his double-A gap looks a couple of years ago, and now he's famous for doing something else, and you doing more, you know, under fronts with Anthony Barr on the line of scrimmage, lined up, you know, outside Daniel Hunter, or doing, you know, other tricks like that. And having somebody in the room who is used to designing for a different kind of front and a different kind of gap structure than what, you know, the Vikings have typically used, that could get really interesting. Typically, the difference between a 4-3 and a 3-4 is in a 4-3, you're one gapping. You have one more guy on the line of scrimmage most of the time, which means you can usually have everybody go attack a single gap. With a 3-4, when you have people a little bit more spread out, they're two-gapping. You know, you have a a zero-technique defensive tackle or a guy lining up directly over the center, and he's responsible for both gaps on either side of him in a 3-4. In a 4-3, that person is just going up, and they line up in a gap, and they try to run through it. The 3-4, they they line up in front of a person and try to go around them either to, to either side. And while you're not changing to a 3-4, that would be a really bad move with the Vikings personnel. Anthony Barr should not be a hand-in-the-dirt pass rusher. He's too small for that, and he doesn't do well enough against offensive linemen for that to be a, a fruitful move. Putting Daniel Hunter in coverage, he might have the athleticism for it, but he's never done it in his life, and teaching him it you know, from scratch is difficult. They don't have the talent on defensive line to, uh, you know, without uh, Hunter and and Barr and the the shenanigans you can pull with those two, they don't have the talent on the defensive line to support a 3-4. They, they just don't have the horses for that. But doing a two-gap front every once in a while and using it as an exotic blitz package could get really, really interesting. And, and I think that's just one of those things that Zimmer can go into the lab and come up with something exotic and fun. And that is, I think, the most optimistic outlook I can have on Dom Capers joining the staff. He's not calling plays. He's not going to, uh, you know, the, the same pitfalls that uh, took out the, the Packers defenses of 2016 and 2017 and 2015. Capers doesn't have the power to do the same thing to the Vikings, 
uh, and hopefully he's just there to be an interesting perspective with some fresh ideas and an experienced guy to help handhold the guys who have never been defensive coordinators before. And I think that's going to be the line you get from the Vikings. But ultimately, it's going to be difficult to tell what exactly he's responsible for, what exactly he's being asked to do, and it's not like the Vikings coaches are ever going to divulge that information to us. So all we really have is reckless speculation, and that's the best speculation I can give you. But enough about the Packers and the Vikings. Let's talk about another NFC North team. Uh, I have coming up here in just a second the Ultimate Division crossover. Now Lauren Cox's turn to uh, run the room with all of us in there, and we're going to talk about the Bears a little bit, talk about their 2019 season and the offseason that is ahead of them, especially their really weird quarterback situation. Can't wait to get into it. So here is that coming right up. Welcome back into this Ultimate Division crossover here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Taking a look at the NFC North today, the Chicago Bears for finishing third in the NFC North. Not a season that played out the way anyone in Chicago was looking forward to. A lot of high expectations falling short and falling short at the hands of the Green Bay Packers. Peter, I know you sort of got to see it from week one and see sort of the development of the Bears as the season went on a Mitchell Trubisky that struggled early on and then struggled late on and, and had some had some bumps along the way but still kind of rough patches what was sort of your Chicago Bears experience this season as far as I know Bears fans were were all over your mentions quite a bit that <laughs> yeah I'd like to direct everyone to my tweets from last spring no um it, it is it is fascinating because coming into the year the Bears were the team that I felt like was the team to beat, and and the Packers were chasing the Bears. That defense looked like it was going to bring a lot of people back. Even with a regression, they were still going to be a very, very good football team, and yet we saw the offense regress in ways that maybe were predictable, maybe weren't. I don't think anyone expected Mitchell Trubisky to play as poorly as he did. I have a lot of faith in Matt Nagy as a coach, or at least I did, and I have to be honest— I have less faith in him after this season, given the offense they they put together here and given his insistence that Mitch Trubisky is the guy. Do you think that's coming from Ryan Pace or is Matt Nagy really that convinced that Mitch Trubisky is the dude? Because if the second part is true, then I have even more questions than I did to start with about whether or not Matt Nagy really is the guy moving forward in Chicago. And that's really the million dollar question this offseason and, and one that's going to shape pretty much everything once we get to free agency. You know, the Bears, both general manager and head coach, say, yes, Mitchell Trubisky is our starter for 2020. But they're interested in at least exploring their options at a backup position. And sort of the Tennessee Titans model with Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota is what gets floated out there as the Bears' possibility with other veteran quarterbacks that maybe you bring in, and they're not, you know, the Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, future Hall of Famer type free agent quarterback, but it's the... It's the Nick Foles, it's the Andy Dalton, it's the Marcus Mariota of all people that, you know, come in as the backup. But if Mitchell Trubisky continues to falter, then you at least have another quarterback option if if things go south as the season went on. I know Detroit Lions fans kind of dealt with the, some quarterback changes throughout the season last year. At least they got some hope from some of their backup quarterbacks flashing a little bit, Matt. But I know once once Matthew Stafford went out, things kind of went off the rails for the Lions, and they really struggled against the Bears in particular. What do you think went wrong for them that way? 
Well, anytime you watch the Lions and Bears uh, this season, I, I think Chicago handled the line of scrimmage very, very well. And you just saw the athletes on that back end. Eddie Jackson is, is a Lions a killer and a, and a terrific player. Um, I, I think my, my biggest thing that surprised me about those two games was how much time Trubisky had to throw. And he had his best two games of the year against Detroit because even with the Patrick O-line and, and, and the injuries you guys had there in Chicago, Lions couldn't get to him. And so that's sometimes when I think a Bears fan says, uh, and there was that stretch at Soldier Field when uh, Trubisky just, it, they didn't even need to run the football. They just, they went four, I think it was at 17 straight points where it was just the Trubisky and Allen Robinson show. But a lot of it was due to the fact the Lions couldn't get to him. So I, I look at the Bears finishing a disappointing season after what they did in 2018. I, I would think, Lauren, they're going to address that O-line, right? I, I, I would think they would have to and the running game a little bit more, albeit some of the young backs I think are decent. And, and again, the role of Tariq Cohen too, probably, but Allen Robinson, what a stud. And uh, that, that talk about a find for Chicago, a Detroit native too. He's a great football player. Yeah. Allen Robinson's going to get a nice contract extension here within the, the next 12 months for sure. They, they love him in Chicago and he's been great. And I, and I think their plan for the running game partially was just coaching staff changes that they, they sort of made their offensive coordinator somewhat of a scapegoat and their offensive line coach as well, because those two were sort of not officially run game coordinators, but they were believed to be more in charge of that aspect of the game. And now the Bears bring in some different coaching staff options on that on that offensive staff to kind of fill out Matt Nagy's side with maybe some other guys that could focus on the run game and, and try and get things rolling in that direction. But it, it still felt like as the season wrapped up, especially when the Bears played at Minnesota against the Vikings backups and Sean Mannion, the Bears still struggled to even pull that one out. And I don't know, Luke, did you kind of get the impression this season that the Vikings especially are, were just so solid all around the roster and that they were, uh, at least when it comes to the Bears, maybe a, a little bit of a class above. I, I know the Bears ended up getting both of the victories. It's kind of yeah, They haven't beat the Bears in two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they haven't beat the Bears in two years, but it felt like the Vikings were, were just the better team a lot of the time. Yeah, well, so the first game was like kind of the rock bottom of the Vikings season, and that was the one that kind of spurred that whole, you know, deal with Stefan Diggs. And the second game, they didn't have their starters in. So, yeah, it was probably the Bears probably saw the worst of the Vikings, but you still saw like the scheme completely fall apart against that Bears defense. And I guess what is interesting to me about the Bears is, I mean, everybody kind of saw that defensive regression coming in, uh, in, in 2019 compared to 2018, where you just knew you couldn't keep that up. But now 2020, I mean, they had a much more like kind of, I would say average year for them, which is an above average total year. But like, does that mean that the Bears defense is going to be more like 2019 or do they have another 2018 in them? And what kind of turnover are we looking at there? Because that's what scares me the most is the Bears defense. I'm not scared of Mitch Trubisky and like maybe Andy Dalton. I'm scared of the defense. And for now, they've got most of the same defensive pieces in place. They they have a decision to make at inside linebacker next to Roquan Smith. And then at whatever, whoever's going to start at safety next to Eddie Jackson, whether they want to bring back the former Packer, haha, Clinton Dix, or get more of ooh, a, ooh. a, a yeah, right, a, a more of a traditional strong safety pair to Eddie for Eddie Jackson to, to let Jackson play a little bit more of that deep safety. But other than that, I think the Bears would like to get a little bit better pass rush around Khalil Mack. But I think this team kind of feels like if they could stay healthy, and if you know they had Akeem Hicks for a full sixteen games again. And if Roquan Smith was healthy and Danny Trevathan was healthy and uh, just uh, injuries started to pile up in a way that 
again, maybe matches some of this regression talk that they were so healthy in 2018. That made a big difference. And if they could have those guys for more games more consistently this season, uh, I think that would go a long way to getting this defense back where they need to be. And then if they can just add a couple more pieces offensively, maybe get some better quarterback play from somebody, Mitchell Trubisky or not, the pieces are there to at least be back in the playoff discussion, but maybe not quite as dominant. I think 2018 is a bit above where their baseline is, and maybe 2019 was slightly below where they feel their baseline is with competent quarterback play, which, again, we come back to being sort of the million-dollar question here. Lauren, it seems so like if there's, if one, there's place one place that the, the Bears could really take a step forward with, um, you know, we, you talked about the quarterback play. I think that's the obvious choice. But one of the reasons why Mitch Trubisky took a step back this past season was they couldn't protect him the same way. And they didn't, until the end of the season, start moving him around more, rolling him out. Uh, Kyle Long is retiring. And it seemed like when he went out, they, they, Bears fans were actually happy about it because he'd been playing so poorly, battling injuries. It, it seems like, and you absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, that the offensive line is low-key a big need for this team because if they can protect Trubisky, at the very least, you're putting him in the best position you can to succeed, and then even if he still can't do it then, you know for sure he's just not the guy. It definitely needs to improve, but it's hard from an off-season needs standpoint that four of their five starters are locked in 2020 and probably 2021 with their right, current right. contracts, with with guaranteed money. And, and four of their five starters, again, the fifth being Kyle Long, who retired, the other four have played well. I mean, they're younger guys, with the exception of Bobby Massey. They were, you know, they had really strong 2018 seasons. James Daniels and Cody Whitehair, both recent second-round picks on the inside with plenty of potential. Charles Leno at left tackle has had his ups and downs, but has been a solid enough blindside protector. And then Bobby Massey has kind of been an average right tackle, but you can live with an average right tackle. So like their only place to improve right now is right guard because everybody else is locked in and they kind of just need everybody on that offensive line to play better. And that's a common theme on this roster that the guys that they have there, a lot of them are coming back and they, they need Mitchell Trubisky to play better. They need the offensive line to play better. They need their tight ends to play better. They need their pass rushers to play better. And I guess a lot of that kind of points to coaching. And I think there's going to be a pretty big spotlight on Matt Nagy this season. And we're going to keep putting the spotlight on NFC North teams all week long here on the Ultimate Division Crossover on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening to this episode of Locked On Vikings. We will be back tomorrow, and it is our turn on the Ultimate Division crossover, so we're going to get everybody's opinion on the Vikings. So do come on and, and stick around for that. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull. Hey Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.